not here to poke holes in suspended disbelief. Anyway, they see some weird shit. They decide to make a baby. Thou Merkin merchant. Who gives a fuck? Oh my god, we're just going to start calling you Damien Yeltsin's cool boards. Well, you know, uh, I really like it here. Uh, it's kind of nice, and uh, it's not as cold as back home, and the soil is a lot better. So yeah, sure, I think we're going to settle. If I'm a peasant boy who grabs a sword out of a stone... Yeah. I'm able to open people up. You will, yeah. Anytime I hit them with it, right? Yeah. So my cleave landing will make me a cavalier. Good day, sir. If Siskel thought it was empty-headed plebeian trash, it was probably <laughs> really good at groove on <laughs> Because cannibalism and murder. Pull back just a little bit and build walls to keep out the redheads. Authorial intent doesn't exist. Some people stand up and wipe their butts. Some people stay seated and wipe their butts. Like, it just... Connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock, and I'm a world history and English teacher here in Northern California at the middle school level. And um, as I mentioned at the beginning of our last episode, I am uh, gradually getting closer and closer to having a house that no longer resembles a construction site. I'm very excited about it. And uh, specifically, uh, sometime in the next couple of days, uh, I'm very much looking forward to my very, very fancy barbecue grill actually coming out of storage, which I know I've talked about before, but it's, it's, it is imminent. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> my wife has borrowed uh, the, the truck from her company's uh, fleet, and we're going to be pulling our stuff out of storage uh, this weekend. And uh, so hopefully by Sunday night, I will actually have my fancy barbecue grill smoker set up ready to go and i'm very very excited so that's what i've got going on how about you i'm damien harmony i'm a latin teacher and a drama teacher up here in northern california i'm just kind of excited that like you and producer george will have something to talk about that (laughs) basically just means that i can show up and get fed and i think this is wonderful i so i'm fully in support of your grill hell i'll even bring bring meat uh, for you to for you to do so, uh, I won't freeload that much. Even though I'm the only one of this group that has only a single income, uh, but uh, <laughs> but no, I'll I'll still bring my own meat uh, for for you to wow us and, okay. and you and he to discuss the finer points of seasoning. Uh, sure, it's smoking charcoal with, briquettes. Yeah, like pellets yeah. of. of seagull beaks or something i don't know what you people use <laughs> we moved inside to cook that for would a reason, be folks. that would be awful yeah i'm seagull sure beaks i'm just saying yeah okay yeah, the unmitigated gall oh fuck you <laughs> it was foul good, good evening <laughs> sir 
Uh, oh. that, that pun is going to hang like an albatross around oh. your neck. Where does that phrase come from? Uh, well, it's, 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 an, it's an, yeah, it's an, it's an ancient maritime superstition that an albatross, uh-huh. I don't know what the, what the source of the idea was, but the idea was that, that albatrosses were birds of omen. Right. And if you killed one, mm-hmm. it was, it was terrible, terrible, bad right, luck. Because they're, they're usually good luck. So yeah. killing one would curse um, it. And uh, it, I think it, the, the poem, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, mm-hmm. uh, Water, Water Everywhere, and All the Boards Did Shrink, Water, Water Everywhere, Not a not Drop, drop to drink. drink. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, it's just lots, almost an epic poem. Right. Um, the protagonist, mm-hmm. if you could call it that, of the poem is responsible for the death of an albatross. Oh, okay. And as part of his punishment by the crew to try to get the bad luck off the rest of them. They right. force him to wear the, the bird albatross. around his neck. Oh my God. So it's literally an There's actual, literally an literal albatross. Around, yes. Yeah. Which is part of the point. <laughs> okay. So yeah. Sure. Um, that's, that's my understanding okay. of, you know, gotcha. having an albatross around your neck. I think that's, I think that's where that comes from. But, I, okay. Yeah. yeah. This is good enough as any answer. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. So, um, in as much as hanging a bird around someone's neck, Makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, in as much as it's yeah. a literary reference and thus, you know, everything that comes with that. Yeah. So, so uh, but Marxist polemic. Oh, yes. They Live uh, right, is a Marxist yeah. polemic yeah. Uh, against Reaganism, no matter what the anti-Semites say. Uh, so. <laughs> See, I, I almost want to fast forward to that to that part of this <laughs> because you keep repeating that exact phrase. And I'm like, yes. okay, wait. It's, well, it's the title. Okay, wait. Well, yeah, so. I know. <laughs> um, just like they live, being written on the wall of the church, as right. we discussed. They live, know. we sleep. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Uh, last we talked, um, Nada, Roddy Piper's character, yeah, um, watched the police. Uh, over destroying, the top, destroying a homeless encampment. Completely unrealistic attack yeah. on just common citizens who are completely marginalized, who have no power against them, and yet they're heavily militarized and they're they're wearing way too much gear for the job that they've got to do, and 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 they're just overly brutal with no cause. Like it, this would never happen. It it wouldn't ever happen in 1986. Right. But, you know, then you have the programs that, you know, as we've discussed in prior episodes, allowed police departments to get, you know, literal military equipment. Yes. And, you know, if you give somebody the ability to do it, they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And with the military equipment comes a military mindset. Yeah. Without the military training. Yeah. Yeah. Or rules of engagement. Or rules of engagement. So, yeah. Yeah. So, Sadly, satire. That, that was not... that was that was satire that became prescience. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I would say that maybe that's rule two a. Satire uh, becomes prescient. Yeah. Uh, when it's done out, basically a generation later. Yeah. yeah. Satire. Satire has a very short half life. Mm-hmm. Corollary. Yeah. It often becomes prescient. Yes. Yeah. So. So. Then after that, we saw uh, more commercials um, and and more homeless people. Now, the thing is, while Nada, played by Roddy Piper, yeah. uh, was sneaking around in the church earlier that day, um, he accidentally found a bunch of, a, a box. Right. And he himself is homeless. So there's this idea of, I found something that's hidden. It's going to be of some value. 
Mm-hmm. And so when when the attack happens, he ends up going through the, uh, the 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 church one last time. He grabs said box, if I recall correctly. He grabs said box from the hiding place that he had discovered and then uh, put back. Um, he grabs said box and then he uh, runs off with it. Okay. And he he buries it uh, in in the garbage. But when he does so the next day, um, in an alleyway. Uh, he puts on, or he opens the box, and it's a pair of glasses. It's 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 a, a whole bunch of glasses, just sunglasses, okay. right? Um, and he puts them on, and that awakens him to reality. Yes. So everything up to this point, in so many ways, is just exposition. Mm-hmm. Even up through the police attack and stuff like that, it's just expedition. Exposition. It's setting up the stakes. At this point, there's nothing amiss in this world other than like, oh, it's a it's a fairly oppressive, yeah, you know, L.A. government. Um, this is Cthulhu level shit uh, at this point. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna quibble. Sure, sure. <clears throat> I'm I'm gonna quibble because now I believe a quibble is a certain kind of old being, right? It's well, a, yes, yeah, yes, Q apostrophe yes. B B U L. Quibble. Well, yeah, it's Quibble. it's it's yeah. it's very difficult for human vocal cords to make the proper noises. Right, but that's as close as we can get. Um, <laughs> but uh, when when you specifically mention Cthulhu, mm-hmm. you are talking about um, the the Lovecraftian mythos and weird fiction. Yes. And now here's the thing: weird fiction. The the bad guys in They Live. Mm-hmm are not inscrutable enough okay for for weird fiction to necessarily apply i would say this is definitely body snatchers level shit okay okay i would make that analogy because right. because in weird in in lovecraftian fiction mm-hmm. um the powers that you are dealing with have to it's it's an issue of magnitude it's it is not that okay. nyarlathotep or any of them are actively malevolent. It's that they exist on a level so far beyond our understanding of the universe Mm -hmm. that anybody who perceives their level of perception is Uh broken by it because it would be like an ant suddenly seeing the world from our perspective. Right. Okay. We don't, we don't destroy ants or squish spiders or whatever because out of malice we hate them it's just you know right you know and and that's that's the extent of it and and you know we 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 often are responsible for for that destruction without even realizing we're doing it we're walking down the street and we step on a snail right Mm, you know fuck you yeah sorry I, I I legitimately had forgotten. I, I that was just the it's example fine. that popped it's into fine. my head, yeah. but uh, <laughs> I, I genuinely didn't mean to trigger I know. your. I'm I know. sorry, but, <laughs> but grown but, ass man, my yeah. shit, my shoulders are still shivering. <laughs> but but you but but you get what I'm saying. I do. I do. And, and that and that visceral response is appropriate based mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. What, what you know we're talking about. Uh, whereas. The the villains in in They Live, the aliens, mm-hmm. um, are very very comprehensible. Okay. They are they 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 have they have human motivations. They're yeah, evil. Oh, yeah. They are evil. Yes, they are malicious. They and are malevolent. they are malevolent. Yeah. 
um, in that kind of uh, what's the word? They I'm dehumanize for? us. Yeah, they is they really yeah, what it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, they they yeah. dehumanize us. They 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 are narcissists. Mm-hmm. They and don't care about don't. our dignity. Yeah. Um. We are as as this fellow on the TV said, we are their cattle. Yeah. Um. Now I would say, however, John Nada's response to this is to go what anybody else in any any other movie would classify as insane. Yes. So I do think there's still some Lovecraftian. There's a little, it's, it's, a little bit. Yeah, it's it's the same. Maybe it's the same melody, but it's being played on a kazoo. Okay. As opposed okay. to like right. a full symphony. I can see that. Yeah. All right. So either way, uh, the, the awakening of the proletariat to the realities of the world and its system that oppresses all of us mm-hmm. is suddenly made manifest by him looking through these glasses. Yeah. Uh, and it is a hyper-reality, which is... This is... this. I love this because... They did it again in Madonna's Truth or Dare a few years later. The reality is in black and white. Okay. The hyper-reality, right, uh, is is technicolored layers of lies. Okay. So uh, you see the black and white reality, and then you see the technicolored layers of lies. And in color, the images are all manufactured. They're meant to keep us asleep and compliant. But in black and white, we can actually see the signal. We can see yeah. the coding. We can Consume. see the matrix. Yes. Um, uh, what was it? Uh, obey. Something. Obey was was a big one. I'm gonna get into that too. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's. Uh, I watched it just they're, recently, they're... and the 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 completely pointless titty shot at the end. Yeah. Might need rehabbing. Okay. Because in the background behind the woman. Um, who is is uh, astrode upon uh, the gentleman who's hey baby what's the matter and he's one of the ghoul type creatures yeah, yeah, yeah. behind it it says uh, procreate and reproduce uh, okay so they were yeah um, but anyway uh, the 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 images in black and white are stark yeah they are clear and they are jarring. Um, now, this is the second podcast that I've done that has mentioned uh, Jean uh, uh, Baldrillard and his book, Simulacrum and Simulation. Right. The first one was our Farsight episodes, episodes 63 to 66, yes. for those of yes. you who want to go back and listen to them. Boo Boo Roy. Yes. Okay. And Gary Larson, by the way. Yeah. Uh, also dealing with Ronald Reagan. Yes. Which is, I find interesting right there. We're dealing with simulacrum and simulation with Ronald fucking Reagan. Well, okay. This is the guy that, you know, um, Doonesbury, uh, what's the, what's the artist's name? I'm forgetting oh, yeah. now. Uh, Gary Trude- Trudeau. Trudeau. Not Gary Trudeau. Um, Gene Trudeau. Yeah. Anyway. Something. Um, that, that, you know, he, he always has some, some cartoon stand in for, mm-hmm. for president. Reagan's stand-in was Max Headroom. Oh, that's right. In the comic. Yeah. It was Gary Trudeau, by the way. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah. The 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 PM of Canada is Justin Trudeau. Yes. Right. Okay. It was okay, it was Gary Trudeau. Um and so, you know, when when you think about the level of cartoonishness that Reagan just kind of embodied. Mm-hmm. It was kind of part of his brand. Yeah, well, like he, and, he and I was, would say he was he was mm-hmm. intentionally right up on the edge of absurd. Mm-hmm. 
just as just as part of the persona he put forward as mm-hmm. you know the national the national sheriff yeah it was a manipulation you know? yeah i would also say with reagan i mean he was he was a movie star yes he came about in an age of media mm-hmm. he was a creation of media on so many levels he wasn't real <laughs> like yes I mean, again, I go back to the PBS documentaries uh, that on the living presidents back mm-hmm. when I think it was 2004, the election of 2004. And it was very clear that PBS had an agenda. It just was one that I agreed with. Mm-hmm. But they did the living presidents. They did them out of order. And they did uh, Reagan and then Bush and then they did Carter. And I think the reason they did Reagan and then Bush mm. was because they wanted to point out Oh, one of the Bushes was a decent human being <laughs> and competent. Yeah. yeah. And he knew what he was doing. And the the Saint Reagan is bullshit. Yeah. Uh compared to the real Bush. Because yeah. Reagan pretended to be a war hero. Bush was. was. Reagan pretended to uh want to shrink the deficit. He grew it. Reagan pretended to play brinksmanship. He actually wanted to produce nuclear weapons. Yeah. Um, everything he did was pretense and was simulation and simulacra. Okay. So, uh, it, in short, the glasses show nada and therefore us that the world that we live in is dictated by the images that are presented to us by the various media sources, creating a version of reality that isn't based on our own perceptions. It's a hyper reality. Okay. The world around us is charged by those various images and symbols, creating our own worldview. If there is an objective version of our society, Baldrillard doesn't believe that it really exists. Because everything is a construct. Yes. Okay. The world of they live is created by the manufactured images everywhere in our civilization. And only when we put on a pair of magic sunglasses do we actually see the world for what it really is. And the facade that is used to exploit and conquer us is actually lifted. So all of those, all of those images, all of those constructs are charged with the energy of our belief in them. Okay. So we depend on them to be real. Though they are not. Okay. And we've constructed our lives and therefore we are ready to defend it. Because so much exactly. of our identity is tied up in mm-hmm. it. Okay. Now with the glasses on, uh, that facade is lifted and we go ape shit. Yeah. Uh, and we're able to see things for how they really are, which is a world manufactured just like the ones that we see without the sunglasses. Mm, okay. So, uh, which, which again, it's like, if this is a simulation, it's a really shitty version. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like this is the best we could do. Yeah. Which by the way, in the matrix, they talk about, he says, you know, actually we lost fields and fields of humans, yeah. uh, because no one, because it was too perfect. You right. Didn't, you didn't believe it. Right. Like, yeah. Oh God, that gets to us. Um, now the rest of the movie goes as we remember it. The first image that we have, the alien is an older white guy in a business suit. They're mm-hmm. at the newsstand. He's clearly white collar. He's driving a nice car. The man running the newsstand is black and not an alien, which I find to be an interesting choice. In fact, I went back and watched, and I could not find any people of color who were aliens. Well, okay, if you're going to put on a mask in order to dominate a planet... Good point. You know, 
I think if you're just if you're just coming from the point of view of I'm going to write an alien occupation because I can't really say invasion, but an alien right. occupation horror movie, mm-hmm. you know, why would any of the occupying alien hordes choose to be part of a downtrodden population? Yeah, a marginalized group. Yeah. Doesn't. Yeah. The only thing I would say is that it, it would lend a, a layer of legitimacy because you could have people from the. Um, Downtrodden. You, yeah. I mean, you could you could have the 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 person that Carter Woodson talked about often, the one who was so loyal to the system that he had so ter- so terribly internalized that he would come to defend it. Mm hmm. Um, uh, a, a person who didn't know his place, but in the reverse of what we normally think of. Okay. Um, and and so I would just say it would lend legitimacy that way. You know. Okay. But but uh, here we have. But we're also mm-hmm. do, this this is you've you have me on your side now. Mm-hmm. This is a Marxist polemic. Yes. So cool. that's going to be part of yes the message you're trying to make. Absolutely. Like some anvils need to be dropped. Yep. Yeah, and then in that same scene, you know the 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 white businessman who is actually one of these ghouls, um, aliens. Uh, yeah. He hands the money over to the guy. The guy is holding the money, and when John Nada puts the glasses on, he looks at the 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 black newspaper stand owner, mm. um, and he looks at the the magazine. The magazine has a ton of messages in it: consume, sleep, etc. Mm. Um, and then. Oh, sorry. Just real quick, breaking in. Um, my daughter's cat never comes to see company, oh. and he's down here to see you. Well, hello. Yes. We'll probably keep this in. Yeah. But. <laughs> and then, yeah, Saxons come to see you too. Wow, mm-hmm. you've been well. You you are now one of the family. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so the the uh, newspaper uh, stand owner, uh, he's holding on to the cash still because mm-hmm. he's going to talk to Nada. Say, hey buy something or leave and the cash says this is your god yeah which i mean honestly it's not that different than in god we trust but mm. it is different enough to be marxist and it's different enough to be something that uh um uh Baudrillard would would have uh pointed out because it's literally a symbol that we're charging with meaning and infusing with meaning Oh, yeah, well, especially since we abandoned the silver standard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although, to be fair, we did that to help the poor people. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I know. I, yeah. I understand, but yeah. I'm just saying. But yes. Uh, now, the next alien we see talking is a rich woman who is being helped by two humans, a housemaid and a retail worker. So, again, you have the working classes and the upper classes being clearly distinguished all the workers in the market are human, but the more successful trapping-looking folks, those are all aliens. So here's a question. Sure. It's been a while since I saw any part of They Live. Mm-hmm. Is there at any point anybody who is not a quizzling, but is legitimately an upper-class person in this movie who is not an alien? Yes. Okay. There are several rich people who are not aliens. Okay. Yeah. All right. But they're Quislings. Okay. So, See. Okay. So. So. So they're so, the so, not a Quisling. So they no. are. They are. They are in on. They. They know what's going on. They have sold their people out. 
Yeah, I can't. Now okay. that I think about it, I can't think of a single rich person who is not aware of the game. Well, okay, wait. Mm. In the in the grocery store, there's two guys mm. who are in suits. One of them is a standard human. One of them is a a ghoul. alien. Yeah, a ghoul. okay. And they're talking. He's like, I don't know. And he says, Look, man, you should just go for the promotion. He's like, Well, that's easy to, for you to say. You already got your promotion. Mm. That's a human talking to an alien. About uh, okay. stepping up to his level. So Okay. Yeah. Yes. All right. It's I'm trying to think. There's a few people at the at the bank. Okay. Who he doesn't shoot because they're humans. And I think there might be Yeah, I can't think of any obviously okay. rich people that he runs All into right. that aren't quizlings or yeah. Okay. So, and then we get to my favorite part. Okay. Here's here's the quote. He's watching the TV, and on the TV is a ghoul. Right. Uh, and he's in front of a podium, and in front of the podium it says, Obey, because he's watching it through mm-hmm. the glasses, and it says, quote, It's a new morning in America. <laughs> Hi, Ronnie. How are you doing? <laughs> Fresh, vital. The old cynicism is gone. We have faith in our leaders. We're optimistic as to what's to come of it all. It all boils down to our ability to accept. We don't need pessimism. That's what's on TV. Wow. Now, Nada reveals himself as being able to see, and he says something to the effect of, well, it figures it would be him. And he starts, he kind of does the Roddy Piper laugh, you know? Yeah. Um. When he reveals himself, he, he, he's like, you know, it's funny when I take off these glasses, you know, and, and he says, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're fine. You real fucking ugly, <laughs> you yeah. know, and stuff like that. And, you know, you're, you, you, your head fell into the cheese dip back in 1957 and all yeah. kinds of stuff, right? The, the, the standard Piper lines. The rich people who are ghouls start talking into their Rolex watches. And sure enough... Seconds later, he's accosted by the police. Now, he makes his escape, and he meets Holly Thompson, who is clearly wealthy. She's also, uh, she, she drives a really nice car. She's also a human, mm-hmm. but she's clearly the petite bourgeoisie. And okay. she works for Cable 54. Uh, Nada compels her to take him to her house, and she lives in the Hollywood Hills. And she takes the quickest opportunity she can to betray him by hitting him over the head with a bottle of champagne and throwing him through her window, her very large window that lets her overlook everything. Yeah, This is a significantly Marxist scene. <laughs> so He, with his was... weapons, yeah. compels her to take him to shelter Yeah, and then go on. And then she, uh-huh. being the petty bourgeoisie, mm-hmm. as you say, hits him over the head with a luxury item. Mm-hmm. Luxury alcohol. Luxury luxury booze. Yep. Opiate of the masses. Mm-hmm. And then flings him out of, and then defenestrates him. Uh-huh. Uh, through the window through, through, over which she window watches. Over which, over which she has uh-huh. a panoramic view of, of the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She throws him down. Oh yeah, you know, like all yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. No, the that. symbolism is, yeah, yeah, and, and volitious. Yes, 
The working class is immediately and brutally betrayed by the bourgeoisie by means of their wealth, intoxicating as it is, and elevated status. All literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, the fight between Frank and Nada is multi-layered, too. So, uh, Frank shows up at work after having gone on a killing spree. Or not Frank, I'm sorry, Nada shows, shows up, at, up work, at work. Having yeah. gone on a killing spree. And Frank's like, I don't want nothing to do with you. Again, the mind your business thing. Um, but then he shows up to give him a week's pay. He's like, okay. And now go find your, go find a place to hide and don't ever come up for nothing. And I don't want to know you. Um, it's class solidarity through the efforts of violence. Cause he's like, I just want you to put on these glasses. Like, I don't want nothing from you. And then they fight and they fight for a really long time. Yeah. Like to the point where it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, on on one level, you've got the the bonding nature of violence, okay, binding the working class together, okay. On another Trauma level, bonding? yeah, on some levels, you know, but okay. also just the the frenetic need for violence at the working class level, okay, to change things, okay. At the same time, it is a white man trying to open up a black man's eyes to who's really oppressing him. Eh. Yeah, it's kind of a, a kettle of problematic fish. Yeah. But at the end of it all, after yeah. beating the shit out of each other, <laughs> suplexes, gut wrench suplex, uh, uh, let's see, uh, uh, a belly-to-back suplex, um, and just a whole lot of knees to the groin, um, they both start to see the same hyper-reality through the same critical lens a lens that shows both Nada and Frank that their democratically elected leaders in a capitalist system are hopelessly corrupt, complicit, and owned by those in charge. But literally through lenses. Oh, yeah. Clear clear vision now, right? Yeah. Now, from there, the pace picks up quickly. I would say almost too quickly. I think it feels like they ran out of money or he spent too much time on exposition. Yeah. Um, Frank and Nada meet back up with Gilbert. They go to a new meeting and they run back into Holly. Um, you know, I thought I, ki- you know, I thought I'd killed you. Yeah, I thought I, I thought you did too. Hey, look, I really want to say something. Big explosion, deadly raid, teleportation, and now they're in the hidden place. Mm-hmm. They, they end up basically underground in L.A. Um, and I love a few quotes from the meeting because uh, it's it's always the background stuff that really just you know, yeah. John Carpenter's really good at giving us uh, exposition. Um, quote, good, the city's crawling with cops looking for us, and most of the cops are human. They've been told that we're commies trying to bring down the government. <laughs> and some of them are being recruited. Creatures are trading wealth, power. Um, Like. <sighs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, you know, uh, uh, nail meat head. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Here, here uh, Gilbert goes on. Most of us are so, most of us just sell out right away. Then all of a sudden, we get promoted. Our bank accounts get bigger. We start buying new houses, cars. Perfect, isn't it? We'll do anything to be rich. Then the bearded broadcaster chimes in as well. Look around the environment we live in. Carbon dioxide, fluorocarbons, and methane have increased since 1958. Earth is being acclimatized. They are turning our atmosphere into their into their atmosphere. And then we go back to Gilbert. So, like, these are talking in tandem. So you've got mm-hmm. the guy in front of everybody who is helping the the poor's, um, who is himself a worker, 
um, who was putting Nada to work, who, who you know, is doing all the revolutionary stuff, doing the work of the revolution. And then you've got the media piece, too. You have yeah. the propaganda arm and you've got the working arm. So back to the, 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 the working arm. Gilbert. It's in our best interest. They're free enterprisers. The Earth is just another developing planet. Their third world. Then you go back to the broadcaster. We are like natural resource to them. Deplete the planet, move on to another. They want benign indifference. They want us drugged. We could be pets. We could be food. But all we really are is livestock. Now we need an assault unit. Someone to hit them hard when the time comes. We could be pets. We could be food. We could be <laughs> livestock. Oh, and... <laughs> Sorry. I yeah. TikTok has ruined me. But yeah, I think that's there's there's a statement about uh, Carpenter didn't use the term there, but it's mm -hmm. it's uh, now it's it's a thing that's part of our our parlance now is uh, colonialism. Yeah, like huge. Yeah, and what was Lenin super against? Uh, yeah, you know, and and this is we all need to rise up, right? Um, and and again, I just love the very beginning though. They they think they've been told that we're commies trying to bring down the government. Hi, <laughs> like, how you doing? I'm just gonna wave this big red flag. In this front isn't of you. even gonna be subtext anymore. No. <laughs> I'm just making it text. How you doing? There's like. I mean, there's the Jonathan Swift satire aspect of yeah, it. Yeah. You know, then there's the point out the climate change aspect of it in 1988 because it was actually known science even back then. Uh, there's the useful idiots. There's the gendarmes. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's so oh, yeah. much. Uh, and so then they, they, again, they teleport to get away from the police raid uh, and they're underground and, and they end up at these hidden headquarters. Um, and I love these quotes, too. So here's here is like the main ghoul talking to a ballroom filled with rich people and ghouls. Uh, and he says, quote, our projections show that by the year 2025, not only America, but the entire planet will be under the protection and the dominion of the power of this power alliance. The gains have been substantial both for ourselves and for you, the human power elite. And in return, the per capita income of each of you here tonight has grown in this year alone by an average of 39%. Wow. Do you know how much more money corporations have made in the last year? If you do a year to year, yeah. right around the same number. Oh, nice. Yeah, just bang, bang. <laughs> Bang! I'm just going to keep driving these nails. Right? And, yeah. And they run into the homeless guy from before that I talked about in the previous episode. The mm -hmm. one who's complaining that the TV signal gets cut in on. Yeah. Now he's dressed up in a tuxedo. Uh, he's the one that had changed the channel before. Oh, I don't want to hear this guy. You know, get him off my TV. And now he's black tie. Um, and he's fully endorsing the sellout. Um. And and as they pull guns on him after having him take them to the studio, yeah. um, he says, I thought you boys understood. It's business. That's all it is. You still don't get it, do you, boys? There ain't no countries anymore. No more good guys. They're running the whole show. They own everything. The whole goddamn planet. They can do whatever they want. What's wrong with having it good for a change? And they're going to let us have it good if we just help them. They're going to leave us alone. Let us make some money. 
you can have a little taste of that good life too. Now, I know you want it. Hell, everybody does. You do, your own, you do it to your own kind. What's the threat? We all sell out every day. Might as well be on the winning team. I mean, it's like you called central casting. Yeah. Well, you know, it, you, you did. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you did. You did. Yeah. Yeah. So how is like what he says? Yeah. Clearly set up as as the foil and what the, the guy in charge said about everybody getting wealthier. And then what Gilbert and the TV guy say uh, as well as Roddy Piper's, I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, or mm-hmm. uh, Mother Nature's a bitch and she just went into heat. That's another <laughs> one of my favorites, which made no goddamn sense. <laughs> yeah, none. Um, none. How is all of this not a critique of like Reaganomics and Alex P. Keaton and Trickle Down and Wall Street, which came out just the year before? Um, I I, I find it hard to make a make a counter argument. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, um, I think if you, yeah, I think if you, if you soften the focus enough and you pay more attention to the schlock mm-hmm. and, and I mean, yeah, there's a certain level of, of having to tune out the, the dialectic. Yeah. You know, like you can't, it, it's inescapable. Yeah. It's like trying to drink Sprite without tasting Lyman. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now I kind of want that Sprite. Kind of. I always liked it better than 7-Up. A little bit, yeah. Anyway, uh, also, lie. how is this not a call to arms? Like literally for the workers of the world to unite. <laughs> yeah, it's it's I mean, right up. I mean, you know, Piper's been running around the whole time with guns, with, shooting with, with, these with guys. A shotgun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And evidently, the aliens, as advanced as they are, don't have redundant backups, and they don't have a propaganda arm in place to control what people briefly saw. Um, and herein lies the joy of movies, because um, you know he goes and he shoots the thing. The the he he with a tiny ass little gun too. He shoots the only place that the signal's coming from, and then suddenly everybody can see the ghouls. And there's this wonderful reveal moment in the bar. Oh, yeah. Where everybody like, just starts to look, and he's like looking around because he doesn't realize it. And then mm-hmm. you know it keeps happening, and then, hey, baby, what's the matter? Oh. And then credits. Okay, so, yeah. so I just had a momentary nerd out mm-hmm. because I think I realized that Doctor Who mm-hmm. may have may have may have bitten on on this oh so in um matt smith's tenure as as the doctor uh the mm-hmm. beginning i want to say it was the beginning of his second season okay. as the doctor um a a new a, a whole new alien enemy is introduced called the silence okay and the trick about the silence is they're these huge kind of slender man looking aliens with big misshapen looking heads with sure. pointy, very pointy chins and very big rounded heads and, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. gray alien looking eyes. And, and, uh, they're one of their tricks. Mm-hmm. Their, their biggest trick is, um, if you see one of them, the moment you look away, they have a, they have a psychic defense that you look away and you forgot you saw them. Oh. And so they can, they, they, 
there's there's a wonderful scene um that's kind of like the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy the somebody else's problem field yes yeah Yeah, it is actually very much that and so they they there's there's this great uh great moment where um and i'm forgetting the actor's name but um crowley from supernatural oh okay yeah yeah uh, that actor plays a or, CIA a CIA agent, an American CIA agent. The lawyer from uh, Battlestar, Battlestar Galactica. Galactica. Yeah, he he plays an Amer- a CIA agent, and and this is all happening on Earth in in the '60s, around the time of the Apollo missions. Okay. And uh, he winds up walking in on one of these aliens, and uh, he's he's totally deadpan. He he looks at the alien and says. Are you armed? And the alien, you know, in its in its mm-hmm. you know hideous semi demonic alien voice, uh-huh. laughs and says, "We've been here since before your kind invented fire and the wheel. We have no need of weapons." And it's really important. He never takes his eyes off of it uh. because he knows that if he looks away, he's going to forget it was there. Right. Um, and, and one of the, one of the most effective, uh, horror things they've ever done on Dr. Who is mm-hmm. from this series where, uh, the main characters figure out every time we see one, we make a mark on mm. ourselves. So when we, when we look away and we forget, we're going to see, oh shit, they're here. Smart. And so there's a couple of points where we're following a character and they go into a new room and there's like five hash marks on their arm that weren't there before. <laughs> like, oh! I mean, it's amazing. For fuck. So, so anyway, he he never takes his eyes off of the monster. Reaches into his jacket, pulls out a revolver, goes, "Welcome to America!" Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, but anyway, and the the and spoilers, by the way, for this for the series. But it's been several years, so they yeah. You know, um, the doctor winds up rigging up, uh, gets, gets a, a, you know, gets video, mm-hmm. gets a video recording of one of the aliens saying, we rule your world. You know, the only, the mm-hmm. only way you could ever get rid of us would be for you to kill us on sight. So he, so he takes this recording right, and he sets up a, a signal repeater that broadcasts as part of the moon landing Mm -hmm. and everybody's watching it. And there's, there is a moment in a bar where everybody in the bar is watching the moon landing and they see that and they see that. Right. And the other thing is these aliens are psychic. Mm -hmm. And so when, when it, it says, kill us, (laughs) Everybody in the bar turns and there's like two of the silence in the bar and they don't really have facial expressions, but you can see their shoulders start to kind of tighten. Then they start shuffling backward and everybody in the bar just picks something up and moves on them. Oh, wow. And yeah, that's like, there we are. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So in, in 90 minutes. Someone who knows very little about what's actually happening falls over backwards into success, thwarts a very unsophisticated <laughs> set of plans with a single bullet. Yeah. And then he flips off the aliens as he dies. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Like you do. 
Yeah, well, I mean, what, what, what else would you expect of a man who is there to liberate and impregnate as many women as possible? <laughs> <laughs> Chew bubblegum and kick ass. Right. <laughs> now, John Carpenter, who yeah. who many claim to be a libertarian, I think is more of an anarchist. And there's that space yeah, yeah. where they overlap. Yeah, yeah. He said plenty about this movie. So I can go right to the source. Okay. Quote, I quickly realized that everything we see on TV is designed to sell us something. It's all about wanting us to buy something. The only thing they want to do is take our money. This reaches back to Baudrillard since Carpenter shows us the reality, the real reality as, quote, in black and white. It's as if the aliens have colorized us. That means, of course, that Ted Turner is really a monster from outer space. (laughs) I I find no way to argue with that. Uh, Um, You know, yeah, yeah. I'm sure Jane Fonda would probably be able to tell us a couple of stories. Yeah, yeah. What's I'm... the matter, baby? <laughs> uh, um, that's that's awful. I, I I feel a little bad for Jane Fonda. Um, which I'm sure my father hearing me say that would be <laughs> he'd have mortified. to know how to make a podcast work. Yeah, yeah, it'd be um. like. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. And by the way, if your dad is listening, uh, if this is the first time he's listening. I would just point out that your son has done amazing work for the last 150 episodes. You've got some well, catching up you. to do, sir. Thank you. Thank uh, you. But, so Carpenter casts the aliens as manipulative colonizers who are never satisfied. Yeah. He, or as he calls them, studio executives. <laughs> <laughs> Not that he has strong opinions on that matter or anything. Funny you should say so. Here's a quote <laughs> okay. to that effect. They want us to own all our businesses. Uh, a universal executive asked me, where's the threat in that? Or no, they want to own our businesses. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Right. Um, a universal executive asked me, where's the threat in that? We all sell out every day. I ended up using that line in the film. Wow. And here's the thing about this movie. Casting... Roddy Piper was central to the message of the movie. The authenticity gets a shot in the arm with Roderick Toombs. Because I want you to realize his real name is Roderick Toombs. Yeah. Everybody knows him as Roddy Piper, Piper. who plays the character Rowdy Roddy Piper in wrestling, which is a hyper-reality in and of itself. Yes. Because wrestling is a work. We're we're getting really meta here. Right. So but, okay. you want to talk about authenticity. Yeah. You've hired a wrestler to play a <laughs> part, right? Now, because I do want to talk authenticity, though, I want to look at how Roddy Piper grew up, or Roderick Toom, and how he wrestled. So Roderick Toombs' father was a bull for the Canadian Northern Railway, or National Railway. And I say okay. bull. Uh, so he he basically, again, start the movie off how? Mm-hmm. There's a train. Yeah. And there's police brutality. There we go. Roddy was born and partially raised in Winnipeg. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if he saw Kevin and Winnie having strap-on sex. Um. <laughs> it's a Wonder Years joke, folks. Um, but if you think about when Roddy grew up, he was born, I believe, in 1954 or 52. So okay. he would have 
been a teenager right when Kevin and Winnie were caught pegging. Yeah. Um, yes. Good evening. <laughs> so that one that legitimately that hurt. That was that that I'm 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 gonna need brain bleach for that one. So he wasn't an easy kid by any account, um, and he once got expelled from junior high. Um, at which point he ran away and was living largely in youth hostels, which existed there. Yeah. Um, and he picked up odd jobs. Uh, he was a homeless youth who bounced from spot to spot, getting bullied in and out of school. He was scrawny at the time. Uh, now, take this with a grain of salt because it is Roddy his, Piper. His version of the story. But his story has also never changed much. Like, And okay. he's added details uh, about, like, um, well, I'll tell you in a second. Um, the bullying was so bad when he was young that he opted to walk home while living in Saskatoon. Um walking home along the tree line instead of on the road because the kids would bully him on the road and he didn't want to get bullied. So he walked on the tree line Uh, that carries with it a special danger because that's where the wolves like to snack again. It's Roddy Piper. Okay. But he's talking about getting bullied, not like, and then I talked my way out of this or whatever. No. Yeah. So somehow he ends up getting taken in by a bagpiper group. Okay. I couldn't figure out how. I, I okay. don't know. But he got a, he got decent at playing the bagpipes. He legit okay. did. SummerSlam of 92, he played Scotland the Brave. Nice. Um, in, in Wembley Stadium. Nice. With a bunch of other pipers, which by... <laughs> I, I was dating a gal briefly, um, and I wanted to show her what I loved about wrestling, but she was also very into her Scottish heritage. And so okay. I was like, oh, perfect. Here, watch. And then I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh, my God, he's doing a really good job. I'm like, right? I said, I don't know what that song is. She looked at me. She's like, you're joking. I was like, no, I actually don't. I have no idea. She's like, that's literally Scotland the Brave. I was like, oh, that's Scotland the Brave. Yes. So that didn't last long. No. Um, But... <laughs> So sometimes it was a good attempt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, so he uh, he got to be good as a bagpiper. Now, when he was fifteen, he starts picking up odd jobs for wrestlers um, under Al Tomko, who was promoting the AWA out of Winnipeg. And you might remember that the AWA was one of the largest Midwestern territories yeah, there was. Yeah. It uh, bumps up to Calgary. Well, it doesn't get into Calgary, but it bumps up to that territory, which is okay. run by Stu Hart. Um, so Al Tomko is promoting the AWA on behalf of Vern Gagne, uh, who's doing it out of Minnesota. Uh, now this keeps Piper in the AWA loop, which stretches from Manitoba down to Colorado and from Colorado over to Wisconsin and Northern Illinois. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Now in fairness, that's only like six cities out of a place that only has seven. Yeah. But it's also like well over a thousand miles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he, uh, while he was there, he had his first professional match in a major promotion at the age of 15. No kidding. Yeah. He was squashed in 10 seconds by Larry the Axe Henning. You might know Larry Henning as the father of Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. Okay. I recognize the last name Henning. Mm-hmm. We've been doing this long enough. I yeah. recognize the last name Henning. Uh, now, he continues on in AWA as a jobber. A jobber is one who loses to enhance other talent. 
Um, and he works his way as a jobber down to Dallas, down to Houston, and over to the Maritimes. So okay. he will make your guys look good. You want to have him on as an enhancement talent. Now, it's not until he gets to L.A. under what was then known as NWA Hollywood Wrestling, um, as well as NWA San Francisco, then he actually develops into a wrestler who did more than just job. Now, Roddy Piper was scrawny, he was scrappy, and he was really good at becoming a heel. Um, and he relied largely on ethnic insults to get under the skin mm. of various audiences. So uh, wherever he was, he'd find, okay, what's one of the largest minorities? I'm going to make fun of them. Okay. Now, in fairness, this is the 1970s. He's a very undereducated person who grew up with a hard life, and he also grew up in Winnipeg. Yeah. You know, there's there's very few success stories coming out of Winnipeg. This is true. Neil Diamond being the most among them, maybe. Okay. And maybe Chris Jericho. Okay. So, yeah. But uh, he was quick-witted, but again, he was scrawny, right? So he could take a beating. Okay. So he wouldn't shut up, he wouldn't shut up, he wouldn't shut up, and then the good guy would finally beat the shit out of him. Um, and as a terrific heel... He also very rarely ever lost. So he'd take a beating and then he'd escape. Okay. Pissing people off, making them want to come back. Um, and as a result, he'd always leave when he was on top. And then he'd mm. go to the next place. And then when he'd come back, they're still mad then wanting to get, get see him get his ass kicked. Um, so he goes up to the Portland uh, for the Pacific Northwest Territory in the late 1970s. And uh, he actually worked so well up there that he was really, really loyal to um, Don Owen, I think. Was it Don Owen? Sounds about right. Really loyal to the promo promoter mm. up there. Anytime WWF would go through there, Roddy would take himself off the tour. Oh, really? Yeah, he's like, I'm okay. not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna work against this guy because he did such a good job taking care of me oh, while wow. I was up there. Um. Yeah, so he uh, he he basically spent from the late seventies up into the early eighties in in the mid Atlantic Georgia area as well. Mm. Okay, and at one point he goes up to the WWWF. This is when Vince Senior still owned it, right? Uh, for a cup of coffee with Vince McMahon Senior, but the old guys up there, specifically Freddie Blassie and Arnold Scotland, um, they stuffed toilet paper down his bagpipe so that he was unable to play. And this was in Madison Square Garden. So he gets out there and he can't play. Um, it wow. really clearly affected him. Like if you watch interviews of him talking about that, he is a vulnerable and hurt person when he talks about it. Oh, wow. Yeah. he's a, he, he, I mean, the dude never had therapy. It's, <laughs> it's obvious, you know. But yeah. like he's got some like really open wounds. And he's just like, man, why did they have to do that, man? Like, I mean, he's really oh, wow. bummed. Okay. After that, he left. He's like, fuck it. Um, now, this seems to have, like I said, genuinely hurt his feelings, uh, and and uh, he, he was, I, I just mentioned the interview where he said, he's yeah. like, you know, why'd they, why'd they do that, man? They didn't have to do that. Yeah. Um, he turned face in Georgia, gaining a tremendous following, which culminated in that dog collar match. Right, right. And now we're full circle back, right? Yeah. Now, he spent, Roddy Piper spent most of his life as a wounded, scrappy, sensitive, and vicious-mouthed wrestler. He could talk with the best of them. He was seen by many as the greatest heel of all time, and he could also hold his own against the toughest of them. And ultimately, he rarely ever lost. And he was not a very trusting man either. 
but he was loyal to those who were good to him. Like I said, when he went up to Northwest, yeah. he wouldn't he would stay home when the WWF would go into Don Owen's territory because he didn't want to betray Don Owen. Yeah. Once he stopped being a jobber, the amount of times that he jobbed clean on TV was probably fewer than 20 times from 1983 to 2012. Oh, wow. And when he did, it was to people that he trusted and respected. For instance, my favorite match of all time was WrestleMania 8. Okay. Uh, him against Bret Hart. He jobbed clean to Bret Hart. Mm-hmm. Um, now, given all of this, think about the character John Nada. He was a wounded vagabond, counting only on himself and out of his depth the entire time. Okay. He comes in with his own tools. Yeah. He's polite, and he ultimately doesn't know what he's getting himself into. Yeah. But that doesn't stop him from getting into it. Now, as usual, satire, no matter how ham-fisted, and this is one of the hammiest of fists, um, ends up getting lost over generations. <laughs> Rule number two. Yeah. Right? Uh, originally, there was a street art group called Andre the Giant Has a Posse. Right. And it was headed by a guy named Shepard Ferry. And its main logo was Andre the Giant's face with the word obey in block letters below it. Oh, yeah. See no stickers everywhere. They're usually on the back of like a one-way turn signal. sign or yeah. something, yeah. Um, Frank Shepard Ferry, uh, while in college, made it paper and vinyl stickers with an image of Andre the Giant and his build height and weight in the background. They started plastering it all over Rhode Island starting in 1989, and it caught on quickly. The text said, Andre the Giant has a posse. Because Titan Sports threatened a lawsuit, Titan Sports is WWF, uh, he stopped using Andre's name. Uh, And then he reduced the image to just Andre's facial features with the word obey in big block letters underneath. Mm -hmm. And that's what we saw out here on the West Coast. Ferry's reduction of the stenciled text-heavy sticker down to a very simple design and a single word was at once a massive parody of propaganda and a direct callback to They Live. Yeah. It definitely had uh, some some Duchamp vibes to it. Yeah. Being ironic and conceptual in its criticism of political and aesthetic art of the past. What I get a kick out of is how commercialized and parodied this has become. Obey became a clothing brand yep. under Ferry's direction starting in 2001, and the design itself was massively popularized by the Obama campaign in 2008, oh, okay. which was the first to successfully utilize social media, and I believe it was actually the first to raise a billion dollars as a campaign as well. I think so. In many ways, the Red Sox became the Yankees with this. Yeah. Uh, the counterculture becomes the media culture. Ferry starts going after other users for, or other artists for using his art, threatening to sue due to trademark infringement. Mm-hmm. And yet he continues to use his brand to fund and promote anti-corporate aesthetics. Yeah. Now, I'm not here to play gotcha on his brand. Um, good for him if it's all true. And I do think people have a right to their intellectual property. Um, but if it's if it, it it is more the corporatization of Obey as the brand that my students mindlessly bought for years into the 2010s mm-hmm. um, to show their allegiance to counterculture iconography and all wear the same shirt. Yeah, um, that'll well either that with. one or, or Che Guevara's portrait. Yeah, which you can buy at Target. Right. <laughs> like wait. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> Like, I mean, I recognize that I'm the token conservative here, but 
even I, you know, you, you got to admit that that's, that's, come on. Yeah, who won that? <laughs> like, who like, won that? Who won there? Yeah. Who really won there? Now, John Carpenter himself is also an interesting wrinkle. Uh, he has tremendous anti-authority streak in him. Um, and I can chalk some of that up to the fact that he grew up as the son of an academic in Kentucky. You both have the democratizing impact of academics and the borderland mentality at play going on mm. there. One could classify him as being a libertarian, but I think that that's kind of a lazy gotcha type stuff. I think he's a wealthy man who wants to do what he wants, but he also sees the need for social safety nets and the like. Yeah. He seriously had a hard-on against Ronald Reagan uh, in just about... (laughs) (laughs) He really... Oh, turgid. Um, (laughs) Good use of that word. Good use of that word. Um. In just about every interview I read about They Live, Carpenter said it was an anti-Reagan movie. Well, yeah. Yeah, but I mean... I mean, you know, he it's was a new morning in America. Yeah. I, you like, know, yeah, come that's on. not just like I'm using... Like, we've talked so many times about like movies that accidentally became a thing. Yeah. No, he set out to do this thing. Now, I do think that it was only incidentally Marxist. Um... Because it was pulling on those threads the hardest. I don't think he was going for Marxism on purpose. I think he okay. Well, he slipped he was, and fell and pulled Marxism into it. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I, I so if I'm interpreting yeah. what you're saying right, he was hitting all of the targets that a Marxist would hit. Yes, and and his he 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 didn't care so much about capitalism. Or or colonialism or whatever as right. the enemy. He was focused on the Reagan Ronnie. Stuff. Yes, Ronnie fucking Reagan. Yeah. Him. He's a prick. Yes, and everybody with him in his in you know in 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 the, and the in system the that he represents. Yeah, but it's Reaganism. It's not but it's, capitalism. But it's Reaganism. Yeah. The thing is, though, Reaganism was hypercapitalism. Yes, as as uh, is is uh, well described in fascism. The rise of fascism oh, yeah, in America. Yeah. American which, fascism. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, reading through that, uh, you know, Reagan courted the religious right mm-hmm. and then kind of didn't do anything for him. Right. You know, because he was much more interested in the hyper capitalist, mm-hmm. anti commie, yes. you know, uh, kind of stuff, uh, you know, with the exception of, you know, his, his uh, willful. Uh, Ignoring his, of his, the AIDS crisis. Yes, his willful yeah. ignorance of, of HIV, I think, is the closest thing you can find to him doing anything that that was in line with the kind of... The evangelical... Evangelical, uh, you know, kind agenda. of... Kind of agenda. Yeah. But, um, you know, other than that, he was, he was mm-hmm. an economic conservative, primarily. Yeah, and I wouldn't an anti, say An anti-communist. But, yeah. Well, rightist. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, as as opposed to a social oh, quite conservative. So. Yes. Yes. Um, and and you know his pet projects were not their pet projects. Right. So because he was he was so focused on cutting taxes, breaking unions, mm-hmm. and and making corporate interests happy. Um, that means that attacking him. Is attacking, attacking yes. late yes. stage capitalism because that was his identity. Yes, 
I agree and, fully. Know, p- politically, policy-wise, that was his whole. That that was everything he was. There mm-hmm. wasn't there wasn't any other part. There wasn't anything else in the suit, you know. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, you 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 kind of mm-hmm. when you punch hard enough, you you don't just break the nose. You you hit all the pulpy stuff behind it. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened here. Yeah. You know? I, yeah. I I think that uh, he he incidentally hits all the targets that Marxists are yeah. hitting. When, when you punch Reagan so hard in the teeth that you actually, you know, knock yeah. Adam Smith's molars out, right. you know? <laughs> um, I, I think that John Carpenter doesn't trust any authority beyond his own though. I, I think, uh, which is another thing he said almost by rote, yeah. which is him kind of telling on himself as being another John Milius. Um, but an anti-Reagan John Milius. But like, an anti-Reagan John Milius who's not nearly the same level of prick. No, that's true. But it's... <laughs> it's like, anytime we talk about John yeah. Milius now, after after talking right. about Conan, I, I feel like... Yeah. No, 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 no. Milius, Milius is a jerk. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Like, you know... Well, Milius, um, I, I think they have the same streak in them of don't tell me what to do. Yes. It's just that... Milius goes a different direction with it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people attract John Carpenter to that in their minds because they have so many examples of guys that talk like that who end up being rightist libertarians. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, you know, he gets tagged as a libertarian more often than not because libertarians see his anti-authority, his anti-authority except for his own, and they're like... Yeah, I would. I want to be in charge too. Mm-hmm. So libertarians are telling on themselves, saying yeah. basically they want to be dictators. Um, but the speeches that John Carpenter gives to the people uh, by by um, how do you put projection? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's telling John John Nada. Um, he he's got people telling John Nada all the exposition that there is. That's him writing things. And it's clearly those are silk screens of communist revolutionaries. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, yeah. And he's not a libertarian, at least not now. In a 2020 interview with Esquire, he was pretty clear when talking about the remaining Koch brother. Um, he, he said, <laughs> I can't wait to hear this quote. The philosophy is pretty easy to understand. It all comes back to money. It's about being rich. It's about getting rich. Yeah. He's also not shy about pointing out the faults of Reaganomics, linking it clearly to Trumpism. Quote, I don't know what to say about the president. It's horrifying to me. I made They Live back in 1988 and nothing has changed. Reaganomics has continued to flourish. The problem is unrestrained capitalism. It's worshipped and adored by everyone here. It's unbelievable and I'm scared. I'm just scared of the future. Wow. I mean, Alan Moore said something very similar in 1983. Yeah. He also really enjoyed the use of his film's iconography, too. You remember when Ivanka was holding up a can of Goya beans? Oh, yeah. Right, which is hella illegal, by the yeah, way. Oh, yeah, massively fucking illegal. Now, first off, it's also really funny for her to hold up a can of Goya beans, considering the man she's married to is is a man from a modern, modern Orthodox Jewish family. Yeah. Goya. Goya. <laughs> But secondly, remember that someone changed it so that she looked like the "they live" ghoul, and the can said "consume." Oh yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. It was it was nicely done. Yeah, 
Now, as well done. As the son of an academic, he has an appreciation for expertise as well. Quote, but in the United States, there's always been a cult of ignorance. Somehow it's in our nature. Some people believe that ignorance is just as good as expertise, and it's not true. But maybe it seems like freedom. Now, the interviewer went on to state that, quote, parallel to Trump's ascension, we've seen a rise in right-wing extremism, as well as a rise in right-wing conspiracy theories and those gullible enough to believe him. Um, Carpenter's only answer to that phrase, to, to everything that the interviewer just said, was, oh, Lord, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, what else do you say right. to that Right. Yeah, I, I, I got nothing else. Yeah, like, yes, all of that, you know? <laughs> so finally, there's also the problem that occurs with satire and art, and that is our corollary. A generation later, it becomes prescient. And honestly, a generation later, the very people you were trying to roast think, yeah, that's exactly what my ideology is. It's like, see, great is not actually good, dumb fuck. That was supposed <laughs> to be the bad guy saying that. What? Yeah. And, oh. and and the Imperium is supposed to be an over-the-top dark joke. Right, you know? Like, like God Emperor anybody is a bad idea. Right. So like, no. <laughs> so Just the, no. The, the neo-Nazis yeah. watched They Live and were like, yeah, it's Jews, oh, man. Oh, blood libel. Fuck me. Right? Really? And in 2017, John Carpenter oh, no. went out oh. and addressed this shit. And he said he's looking at neo-Nazis taking on his iconography and taking the meaning and saying, oh, yeah, this is this backs the Jewish world conspiracy bullshit. Um, and if you're lazy and you're not actually looking at the actual art or listening to the actual lyrics of the song, I could see how you could get there. Yeah. Like, like, d did you not listen to the fucking dialogue? Right. The, the, did, like the diatribe. The di I mean, yeah, it's not even. Yeah, there you go. Did you did you listen to the no. to the screenwriter's rant? Right. In, no. From from literally every fucking character. All Come they did on. was they looked. They're like, well, there's hidden forces that look like us who are always in the upper classes and always try to keep us real Americans from seeing the truth. And he goes into a bank because you know those are controlled by and okay, and uh, they control right. the right. media and all right. that's it's all, all right. that shit. All right. So okay. <sighs> Someday mm -hmm. I want to find one of these chuckle fucks. I don't. Well, hear me out. Okay. Like I'm not. I'm not saying I want to. I want to find them to you know socialize. But I, I want to. I want to find one of these chuckle fucks. I want to sit him down and I want to say, Have you actually ever looked at what the Jewish immigrant experience in the United States was like, literally forever? Well, see, I think like they like could, they could do is like they they could point to like the. BIPOC characters in this and be like, see, I'm not racist. I'm just pointing out the clear truth that the Jews are behind it all. I, I know, I understand, but but I'm I'm getting I'm getting to a deeper issue here. Uh -huh. which is if you bother to actually look mm -hmm. at what the experience of Jewish people mm -hmm. literally mm -hmm. literally anywhere in mm -hmm. the world has been mm -hmm. historically you realize that the idea that they're a cabal running everything is a load of horse shit. It's the only way that you can keep believing that is, is by saying that they're a cabal running everything. They want you to think that they're weak. You see, 
Okay. That's that weird ass conspiracy. Yeah, that, that bizarre, bizarre internal inferior internal and logic. Superior. Yeah, yeah, like Antifa. You know, is yeah. is you know we're we're gonna if the civil war ever starts, we're we're gonna we're gonna beat those leftist liberals. Right. You know, with their hands behind her back, but oh my god, Antifa is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like it's, fucking pick one. Yeah. Please. Also, just because I'm I'm in the middle of a rant and I I see no reason to stop. Um, if if you're anti Antifa, you're fa. Yeah. Yeah. I, and and that's like, simple math. Like that's <laughs> that's the <laughs> factored out the anti. <laughs> yeah. And so. Yep. And 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 congratulations, you just made yourself a, t- a punching target. Yeah. Congratulations. Anyway, so, so sorry. It's, it's everything that I mentioned before, uh, and people could easily bend it to their anti-Semitism. They would be fully wrong in doing so. Yeah. And if this podcast isn't enough to convince someone that it's inherently not anti-Semitic as a movie, yeah. uh, John Carpenter went on Twitter, and he said, quote... They Live is about yuppies and unrestrained capitalism. It has nothing to do with Jewish control of the world, which is slander and a lie. Nice. He also responded further in his interview. He said, quote, I, yeah, I think these group, groups are ridiculous. I'm not sure when it started. I have no idea what the origin of that was. I know a lot of stuff started percolating after 9-11. Hmm. QAnon is just the old World War II conspiracy against the Jews being recycled. These QAnon people have no imagination. End quote. So, at the end of it all, Roddy Piper showing up as a nameless hero in a rich town, unable to find work despite having his own tools, being shown a new lens through which to examine the world around him, fighting... Dialectic materialism. mm -hmm, Fighting a media complex of rich and powerful people until it kills him, in the hopes that everyone wakes up to the truth that he sees in a hyper-reality is, ipso facto, a Marxist polemic against capitalism. Q-E-D. There you go. And we even we even managed to kind of get in the usual thing that happens, which is, well, it's a Marxist polemic, but he wasn't actually trying to write one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's rule number one. Yeah, it's an allegory, but he didn't try to write one. <laughs> So true. It's a statement about 9-11, but they weren't trying to write one. Exactly. You know, it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I will not ever be able to watch any portion of that film without, <laughs> without hearing parts of it delivered in a late 19th century German accent <laughs> ever again, because, you know, Marx, yeah. like... You know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna look around and go, okay, how many beards do I see? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, he's got he's got kind of yeah. got the got the hair going. Oh, there's Hi, a guy. Carl. There's there's a guy walking with a mullet and a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Thanks. Nice. So anyway, hey Carl. So how you doing? What what have you gleaned? Um. Well, uh, I I have I have gleaned uh, first and foremost that. Um, Neo-Nazis are fucking morons. <laughs> um, and, and just, you know, that it really is, it really is disheartening mm-hmm. that you can create something that is so very clearly, <laughs> um, that, that is spiritually counter to, mm-hmm. um, 
hatred, bigotry, colonialism, racism. I mean, pick one. Yeah. And racist assholes, conspiracy theory assholes, who are usually like, you know, the Venn diagram is a perfect circle. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, are oh, it going... always leads back to the Jews control everything. Yeah, it, always. I mean, always. Like, fucking always. Like, like yeah. come up with something original. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, no, nobody ever nobody ever comes back around to, no, no, it's uh, it's the French. <laughs> right? You know, no, yeah. nobody nobody ever comes nobody ever comes around to. It's always uh, the Rothschilds and never the Vanderbilts. Yeah. You know? You know, yeah, yeah. The Dutch. Right. Never comes, never comes around to the bloody Dutch. Right. Well, um, and if it does, it's a, it's a Dutch Jew. Yeah. Well, yes. So. But yeah, you know, um, nobody, nobody ever, ever tries to come up with, you know, uh, theories of, of how, you know, the, the first natives of North America were actually, you know, African. Right. You know, it's always trying to find some some racist idea that they were Aryan somehow. Right, like, yeah. You know, bullshit. Like, w- come up with something original. Like, if you're going to mm-hmm. believe in fanciful shit, like, come up with a fancy. Mm-hmm. For God's sake. Um, and it's it's just, it's, it's annoying mm-hmm. that no matter how, again, hitting the nail on the head you can be with what you're trying to say... Some idiot <laughs> chuckle fuck with a with a red armband mm-hmm. uh, is is gonna wind up finding a way to make it fit their their racist ideology, mm-hmm. and I don't know, I I don't know how much that has to do with just the nature of media and I think it and, has and, to do and with meta symbols. meta anything, just, yeah, you know. Um, and how much it, it actually has to do with the mindset of those kinds of people, mm-hmm. which I think is also a factor. You know, I don't know. I don't know where the where the where the split is. If it's like you know seventy thirty sixty forty, right? You know, um, but you know, it's it's also the other the other thought that occurs to me is the way most critics look at they live Mm -hmm. is not with any kind of scholarly let's look at the ideology kind of kind of viewpoint right most of the time they live is lumped into the same category as hell comes to Frogtown. right you know well you know it's rowdy rowdy piper he's a wrestler how seriously oh yeah take this and it's like well okay here's the deal it's a rant. Like the movie is an extended rant. It really is. But it's a rant given by a guy whose father was an academic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And so, you know, it's it's a rant given by a college professor. Mm-hmm. So maybe there might actually be some intellectual meat on that bone. Mm-hmm. And and we in in the in the media landscape. I think there is a lot of uh, focus given to the trappings mm-hmm. within a given medium or, or within a given piece of media mm-hmm. uh, where, well, this just looks schlocky. It's an aliens movie. Right. It's, it's a comic it's, book. It's, 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 a, it's a comic book. It's a cartoon. It's that ghettoization. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's yeah, the best way to put it. 
And so an awful lot of stuff, and this is, this is a case of it, I think, an awful lot of stuff with genuine intellectual philosophical merit mm-hmm. gets overlooked. Yeah. Because, you know, it's a B-grade action flick mm-hmm. with horror overtones. And, yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. I don't, it, I don't know it, if there's It at once has the freedom to make these points very, very clearly. <laughs> one, one, one might say zealously. <laughs> yes. And at the same time, uh, it has the has that freedom but it also has the constraint that no one's going to take it seriously yeah well that's uh i know i've talked about it before william gibson talking about science fiction as a genre being the court jester that's right of of literature that it's like we can we can say things and point things out that nobody else can get away with saying Mm -hmm. because well you know it's just the court jester exactly but at the same time, well, you know, it's just a court jester. What does he know? Right. Yeah. You know. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you can, you can absolutely hide the truth. Yeah. In something that no one's going to pay attention to. <laughs> or, or in, or, or that they're not going to take seriously. Right. You know? It's, it's like purposely creating extra Cassandras. Yeah. You know, so, well, so, cool. Yeah. What are you reading? Um, right now I'm not reading much of anything kind of still, um, Mm -hmm. sadly. Um, so how about you? Uh, want you to, to give a look at IBM and the Holocaust by Edwin Black. Okay. The strategic alliance between Nazi Germany and America's most powerful corporation expanded edition specifically get the expanded edition because there's some extra stuff toward the back. Um, there's a lot of documents and pictures that previously had not been published. So don't go for the old one. Don't go for the hardcover, go for the paperback. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a good book. I mean, it's, it's up there with Hitler's willing executioners by Andrew Goldsworthy. Okay. Um, the, the difference is this, this ties it very much to American corporations Mm -hmm. and their complicity in it, which, Businessman strike that makes a lot of sense, especially mm. with Prescott Bush holding all the money. Yeah, mm. Mm. but uh, it uh, I, I the 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 Goldsworthy book, the Hitler's Willing Executioners, mm-hmm. very very good book. Um, you got to be in a certain mindset for that one. This one you can kind of get away with not having to be fully present in your heart, just in your brain. Okay. Whereas the other one, you got to be fully present in your heart too. Oh wow! So okay. yeah, but uh, honestly, as a companion set, they're both really, really good to read. Like okay. back to back, I think is really, really good read. So okay, excellent. That would be my recommendation. Where right. where can people find you in the social medias? In social medias on Twitter, I'm E H Blaylock. On the Tiki Talk, I am Mister underscore Blaylock. On Instagram, I'm just Mister Blaylock, all mm-hmm. one word. Um, where can they find you? Uh, let's see. This is going to drop in March. So on April 1st, you can find me at Luna's trying. We had to cancel three of them because of variants and stuff, but I think we're going to go ahead and make a go of it for the April one because numbers right. continue to drop. Um, Fingers crossed. Yeah, well, you got to bring your goddamn mask and proof of vaccination. Okay. 
Um, but uh, I'll be at Luna's uh, doing comedy uh, with uh, with my my comedy group, um, uh, Capital Punishment. Uh, the long-awaited and much-delayed uh, return to the stage. Um, nice. You can also find me on Insta and and Twitter with Da Harmony or on TikTok with Da Harmony One. So. Cool. Yeah, that's that should be enough. But all right, uh, all right. And corporately, where can they find us? Collectively, mm-hmm. I'm going to say collectively. <laughs> yeah, good idea. Uh, rather than corporately, collectively, uh, we can be found at uh, Geek History of Time on Twitter, and uh, www online. And of course, uh, if you're listening to us, you've already found us on some podcast service or another. Uh, but we can be found on Stitcher and on um, Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast. Yeah. Um, so it, wherever it is that you have found us, please subscribe. Please give us the five stars that you know we have earned, uh, or rather, um, give them to us uh, in, in accordance with our need. Uh, please. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much. I think it. Yeah, that'll do. That'll do. Yeah. All right. Well, for Geek History of Time, I'm Damian Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling 20s.